Afternoon, everyone. L.A. Aiko here. Trade Talk is back. So happy to uh, have another episode with you guys here and where we're going to be exploring uh, where people are romanticizing uh, a soft landing. You know, I, I've been just seeing a lot of people speak about Fed pivots and things of that nature. And I get where people are coming from and, and what their idea is because, you know, oh my gosh, inflation can't go this high. This is a tumultuous situation. How can the Fed allow this? Or the Fed can't let this go on for too long. Or they'll completely wreck the markets. There's a lot of interesting factors as to why I don't believe that to be the case. Um, now I want to say that the hypothesis of this whole episode is that um, the economy won't have a soft landing and the Fed can't control uh, the extenuating issues caused uh, by the economy's rising rates and inflation. I just don't think that that is a possibility. Um, a hard landing is pretty much what we are going to get, to my opinion. And, you know, I, I follow it up with uh, what I feel, not even what I feel, excuse me, I don't like to say that, but what I think will be uh, the measures that play out um, causing that hard landing. The first thing I do want to um, say is that I want to make sure I acknowledge uh, Stanley Druckenmiller uh, for a bit of what I am about to say, because uh, there is some perspective as to his opinions on soft and hard landings. And originally, what made me start having interest in this is finding out that the Fed has only had four soft landings. Um, and of those particular four soft landings, uh, the, in particular, they came at pretty much very interesting times. So let's work it backwards. So we had a soft landing um, from interest rates being at 1% in July of 2017, rising to 2.4% in July of 2019, only to be reduced again in February of 2020 um, to 1.6% during the, the COVID pandemic. Now, okay, we can understand that, but you got to put some backstory to that. At the same time, Trump is in office at that time, and he wants uh, the most booming economy that's ever been around. That He wants that to be his claim to fame, and that is something that he made happen. Uh, in particular, at that time, and I, and I referenced this a lot, we were already at a yield curve inversion uh, in 2019 going into 2020. I posted this a long time ago. Most people would never even remember it, but we were already there. Uh, the, the 10 and the 2 were already on that inversion course, and there was an inversion of the long bond on its way. But as we had Fed stimulus forcing things to correct themselves, we never got to it. You had another soft landing back in uh, 1994. Most people that I'm probably speaking to on this podcast had, weren't even in their right mind to be investing at that time, nor was I, as I'm only 38. Uh, but in uh, 94, we had where rates were at 3.1 in January of 94. Uh, then they went to 6% in June, but then reduced to 4.6 in January of 1999. Um, you know, I can't give you a lot of backstory on that. Obviously, I could read about it, but uh, it's just not that imperative to what my future outlook is. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, another place where we had a soft landing where uh, Fed's funds rates were increased from 
5.5 in February of 1983 to 11.6 in August of 1984, but then reduced to 7.5 in June of 1985. And I think that's around the time of uh, where we had crazy interest rates uh, for houses. A lot of people always reference that, at least when I was coming up in the business, uh, a lot of my mentors always used to reference the fact that they had a mortgage that was 11%, and um, you can see it from there. Then in 1965, at a 3.9%, um, then, re- then pushed up to a 5.8%, uh, then by November of 1996, and it was reduced to a 2.9% uh, in July of 67. So what I would in- implore many of you to do is maybe go look some of those things up and read the backstories as they relate to what was happening in the economy at those times, um, because obviously this is not the right platform for me to go into all of that. It, it just wouldn't really serve that immediate purpose as to, you know, this episode. But moving further into the episode, let's really define what a soft landing is. Uh, the definition of a soft landing refers to uh, the moderate economic slowdown following uh, a period of growth. A soft landing is always the aim of the Fed. But the thing is, only uh, a soft landing has only had, happened 10% of the time. So the majority of time we get into a hard landing and there's very specific reasons why we get into hard landings. Um, One of the key parts about why you end up in a hard landing is that once inflation is above 5%, um, it has never come down unless uh, Fed funds rate has met the CPI. So in all of those other instances where we've had the soft landing, they didn't have to have the Fed funds rate meet the CPI. They were able to pivot before that time. But in all the other times where we have had these situations happen, Fed's funds rate, Fed funds rate have had to meet the CPI. We have a not what a 9.1% CPI that we just had as a print. Um, this is something that I was speaking about in prior episodes that was highly likely to happen. And here we are, right? One of the big, big issues here is that could you allow Fed funds to reach the CPI? Could we see ourselves in an eight, eight and a half, nine percent Fed funds rate, which would mean a 10 year uh, screaming to woo, easily over a 12, not not easily over 12, excuse me, easily over 10 and a half and then borrowing on the short end easily over a 13. That would be insane. I don't think that that's a realistic thing that could probably happen as it would cause a very drastic and aggressive amount of bankruptcies. Now, do we have that the right kind of Fed chair who would push that? I don't think so. I don't think Yellen nor Powell um, would heavily push that. However, the last person actually who, not, let me take the however away from it. The last person who's ever even been that aggressive was Paul Volcker um, in the Carter administration. So I just don't see where there's a person who is willing to put their name on that. Volcker was willing to put his name on that, and he faced ridicule for many years until you saw things like Bernanke and um, Geithner after him, and then you start to see that, ah, okay, maybe we have to take a tough approach on things. Very funny that within uh, our nation's economy is that it's very delicate in that it's very rare that you see people take a very tough approach to the economy and how they regulate um, how the flow of money is going. I think there's just too many situations and there's too many government programs that have become so big that they're very afraid to 
I guess, you know, tighten up uh, what's going on and get the spending in order. However, I don't foresee that we could realistically run into a situation where they put that um, Fed funds rate as high as the CPI. But I also don't think that we have this immediate pivot like most people are thinking, like, oh, early part of 23, because as soon as the demand starts to wane, that's when they're going to have to start cutting rates. The issue is, though people are complaining right now in July, the demand has not waned. People are happily, forcefully trying to travel and having to be pushed and shunned away from traveling. They want to travel. They want to enjoy the things that they want to enjoy. That, you know, nothing has slowed down. There's still excess, excess savings. And even if there's not an extreme amount of excess savings, there is definitely, for 100% sure, uh, enough credit to go around to allow people to do what they want to do. Uh, the next part that I would say that you have to consider is that how do you mitigate or solve this situation of getting to where um, the, you know, the rates are too high and you, you don't want to allow them to get that high? Like, how do you curve this whole thing and manage the situation? I would say that maybe you're looking at it from an aspect of sectors, right? We have in a lot of these sectors, particularly like in real estate, there's a situation where you could have, not even could, you will have a hard landing. Uh, you know that real estate, in all the areas where real estate has gone 2x, 3x is its normal pricing, you have to see that come back down. In New Zealand, Canada, Australia, um, in the U.S., in certain markets like California, you're going to see that. Florida, you're going to see that. People will often say that, hey, you know, these markets are the are the most bustling markets. We don't foresee any of that happening. However, the only thing that is is staving that off is that there's not enough supply of housing. But the next thing that comes right after enough supply of housing is the inability to afford any of the housing. And that is a real thing. But that is also what tells you that we're not in, in these recessionary times yet because people are still absorbing and they're willing to pay that average $5,000 a month in rent in uh, New York City or pay those astronomical prices of, uh, you know, sometimes uh, 10, 20, 25 percent over asking in uh, Florida and California. We even talk about New Zealand and Australia, where we were speaking about the adjustable rate mortgages for New Zealand and Australia, where they're trying to even put in um, the ability to have longer mortgages, stretch out your payment. Generally, though, that means that you'll have you'll likely see more defaults because there's a longer amount of time, contrary to what the proposal is to get a lower payment, the longer you stretch, doesn't necessarily always mean people can complete those loans. But it's yet to be seen if that is going to be a thing. Depends if they start issuing treasuries that are 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. We don't know yet. In the tech sector, you already know that there's a borrowing issue, which is also due to valuations. So banks are already more conservative, hard landing, and you can see that hard landing, tech and crypto. Pharma industry, the money's pretty much being printed uh, because governments are wanting those uh, those virus uh, virus vaccines and things of that nature. I think that at a point will also slow down. So, I mean, those are three sectors, in my opinion, you could find a uh, very hard landing if you want to just pinpoint them. And I think that's another way to even approach this is just to very much so pinpoint them uh, because I don't consider 
that in the near term, commodities will have a hard landing. I think on the backside of this whole thing, when demand is finally destroyed out here, then you should see a hard landing for commodities uh, in a very accelerated way. But we still have some time for that. And when I say time to put a perspective on it, because sometimes people think time is like years, I would say we easily have nine months. Uh, but I would also play it by ear after six months. As, as I was saying, I'm looking at January, February uh, for slaughter prices and what uh, soft commodities are going to price at because uh, we just recently heard Ukrainian wheat fields are burning. So feed is going to be a big, big, big problem. So I, I would say that, you know, you, you get a good perspective of what would be a big challenge in kind of getting, you know, mitigating um, having to have Fed funds rates go all the way up to a 9%. Right now they're at 1.75 and I implore everyone to constantly pay attention to where they're at, especially when they're saying, okay, we want to raise rates again. Um, and they have an FOMC meeting next week, which they could potentially raise uh, 0.75 to 1% in whole. Uh, that's how you quickly climb within a year and a year and a half uh, to get to those high numbers to meet CPI. If you look at uh, the beginning part of this episode where I explained to you the four soft landings, look at the years and then look at the top, then look at the comparable years where we hit our height of uh, Fed funds rate. Look at that and then look at where it comes down to. And you can obviously see, you know, how quickly and at what pace they're raising. I think we have how many meetings in a year? Uh, what is it? Don't quote me. Is it, it has to be six or eight. But of those six or eight, you can see how many times things are being raised to reach uh, those heights. A lot of estimates say, of course, like I was saying before, uh, 2023 would be uh, when you could start seeing uh, Fed quantitative easing coming back around. Um, voting members of the Fed are not in agreement with that. I am not in agreement with that. Uh, I do think that you could probably see it at the end of 23, but more than likely in 24. Um, again, the best way to just really know is not even to say when it's going to estimate and happen, because I don't think anyone can do that. I don't ever try to uh, guess interest rates, but you can just play arbitrage off of interest rates. Let's say the best way to know is just pay attention to demand. Pay attention to what is happening there. Um, in my next episode where I speak about subprime uh, autos, uh, auto financing, excuse me. I mean, you'll you'll start to see the concept of demand as it pertains to interest rates and pricing, and the relative strength of people continuing to uh, pay high prices or keep items that have a high price, where they were financed at high prices. So you know, we'll we'll speak about that in the next episode. But I just want to say, in this, you you know. 2023, the beginning part of it for pivot is too early. Like we've, we've barely even raised the rates. They're not even at a five. Inflation's at a nine. Um, I would say in the month of July, other than rent, um, you know, gasoline prices have come down some. So, you know, maybe we don't get as, as, as sharp as a print as, as a 9.1, but I, I don't see us moving to a, a, an eight. People are paying. They're happily paying. There are some people complaining, but the unemployment is not spiking. The layoffs are there, but the unemployment is not spiking. Um, people still got some money. JP Morgan just recently, I'm talking about just recently as in early this week is when they finally even started saying, okay, we're trying to shore up some cash positions. Maybe they've been shoring it up for the past like 
month or two or two months, you know, before the quarter was reported. But if we had to say it's been at least three months that they've been doing it. So there's not just this huge head start out here where, um, where banks have been bracing for defaults. I think there is a longer road ahead and I'm more so checking the important indicators uh, of employment, of cutting of credit, of people just flat out choosing not to travel because it is too expensive and their discretion, um, excuse me, their non-discretionary has to come first. You know, so this is why I, I, I go into the next episode and I speak about um, subprime auto loans because that is one key place where you are seeing it. But it is also a place where unlike in homes, in autos, it's very often that people have more than one car. So it is it is easier for it to happen there. I think it is just more so an opportunity. It kind of tells you what's what's to come, but I don't think it's the thing that just cripples um, and, and becomes the systematic issue. Uh, it would be a huge write down for community banks. But again, I don't want to continue to go into that because that is an episode in itself. Again, I thank everyone for tuning in. This isn't an episode that's telling you uh, what stock or looking at this. It's just to say, this is the lay of the land and this is how I'm looking at it because it, it was driving me bonkers to see how people were talking about Fed pivots and uh, soft landing. Like, not even close. We're not even there yet. Nowhere in hell are we there yet. We've got time and there's a lot more to happen. Thank you guys for tuning in. LA Echo out. Trade talk.